Well, this week I've spent a lot of time thinking about church and thinking about what it means to be a part of a church. And then I had to think about the negative side of that and think, what's it mean sometimes when you're not welcomed at a church or you're rejected by a church? Anybody ever felt rejection, whether it be at a church or not? That's an experience that we don't like to talk about, is it? The times when you put your heart out there, you became vulnerable in some way, you became transparent in some way, and whoever it was or the group that it was you were talking to, that one that you trusted, they shunned you, they turned their back on you, they rejected you. Well, if you've ever experienced that, then this is a message for you today because Jesus experienced that. And one of the things that I find so fascinating and compelling about Jesus, and one of the reasons that people around the world, whether they hold his name up or not, find compelling about Jesus is because Jesus experienced what you and I experience. And Christianity is the only faith that has the outrageous claim that the God that we worship knows exactly what it's like to walk in your shoes. That the God that we worship knows exactly what it is like to experience what you've experienced, heartache, heartbreak, and all. And so if that describes you, if you're a person that says, I know what it means to be rejected, I have got a rejection story that would curl your toes, Scott then Jesus is your guy. This is something that you need to be paying attention to today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today. If you want to look in the journal, Luke chapter 4, or if you want to turn your Bible on, if it's on your mobile device. But I want you to hear this story. And then we're going to come back and I'll make some takeaways that I believe you'll find encouraging perhaps challenging for us. Luke chapter 4. Let's set the stage. Luke sets it for us, and we'll begin in verse 14. And Luke sets the stage, and he gives us this summary statement in 14 and 15. He says this. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. He says, And Jesus returned in the power, to the, Spirit, uh, the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is Luke's summary statement. It just says, Jesus has just experienced the baptism and wrestling with the temptations that he faced in the wilderness. And then that launches his ministry. And his ministry, you need to know, it's off to a good start. He goes from town to town. He teaches in the synagogue. Occasionally he performs some miracles. And the word about him is spreading. And so Jesus does something that we would all have done as he now makes his way back around to his hometown. And he goes into a synagogue there and Luke records for us what happens there. Luke chapter 4 verse 16 says this. He says, And he came to Nazareth. Now this is where he was from. Where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom. See, this is Jesus. Jesus had the custom of going and being a part of what you and I would call church. He went to church. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll 
of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he reads these lines. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now I'm going to just pause just for a second. And if you want, you can draw a line between verse 23 and verse 24. Because the story's about to go off the rails. So far, Jesus is polling very well. <clears throat> he's gone back home. And he's, the word is already out about him. And he goes into the synagogue and he's going he's to teach. And he's already a, known to be a rabbi or a teacher. And so it's very natural that he's selected. To, he's handed a scroll, or he chooses one actually. And he's going to read from Isaiah. Now, you have to understand, this isn't like flipping through one of our Bibles or pulling up an app. These were very large scrolls, and Isaiah in particular is a very long, lengthy book. It's in your Old Testament. You can look it up and see it there. And he goes and he finds what we now refer to as chapter 61. So, now, this, you know, we, we worry about sometimes when the technology doesn't work around here and, you know, there's about three seconds of delay and we're all uptight about it. To find chapter 61, he had to unroll the scroll that could have been as long as 30 feet long. And he's unrolling. Imagine just the, the pause. He's rolling, he's rolling, he's rolling. It's like, just, just read chapter 1. We'll be fine, you know. And finally he finds this very particular passage. And when he starts reading, and I can guarantee you people in the audience would nod. And they started to grin. Because in many ways, he is giving them the passage that they want to hear. Because they are wondering if he's what's known as the Messiah. Is he the one that's been promised to come? And so he, when he turns, he gets to this place, place in Isaiah, and he reads chapter 61, verses 1, and part of verse 2. And look at this again. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a messianic passage. What he is doing is he's throwing red meat to his crowd, and they're loving it because they've heard about the good things he's done, they've heard about his teaching. He's now come back home and he reads this messianic passage and he says, This is being fulfilled. And notice what's being said about him. He says, all the eyes were fixed on him. And verse 22 says this, and all spoke well of him. If you've got something you can write in or highlight, I want you to circle the phrase, all spoke well of him. 
He has just delivered to this congregation, if this were some kind of rally, he's just delivered the soundbite that they were all waiting for. Because they are beginning to see him as the one that's going to make everything right and it's going to restore Israel to its former glory and he's going to knock out the Romans and suddenly they're going to be back in charge and in power again. That's why they're so excited. They're thrilled that he's preaching this way. And so they look at him, isn't that Joseph's boy? Yeah, I knew him when. I taught him back in junior high. He's a good, I always knew he was going to do good. You ever known somebody that maybe you went to school with or, or their children, you know, ran around with your children and they go on to be incredibly successful and you're going, you know, Bill and Lisa, their son's just doing great. Well, that's what they're doing. There, there's this pride coming out now. Because at this point, there's a little bit of a suspicion. Is the Messiah coming from our hometown? Is he going to be a hometown boy? And Jesus is well aware of this. And then he does a turn on them. And remember, they all spoke well of him. See, this is the moment when you speak well for the preacher, this is the moment where he should just quit. You know, you're speaking well of him, we're done. Jesus goes on. Verse 24. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Huh? But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, he just, he just lays out two more Bible stories. Okay, these are Bible stories in their Bible. But what's the result? When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They just spoke well of him. Now they're filled with wrath. You want to circle that line too. And they rose up and drove him out of town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Now I've delivered some stinker sermons before, but never one this bad. It breaks out in mob violence. They grab him up and they take him to the brow of the hill. And you know what's so ironic about this? What did we talk about just a week ago? Satan took him to a high place in the temple and challenged him to throw himself off. This crowd wants to do what Satan was trying to get him to do. And now a very underrated miracle occurs. Verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. God protected him. But why the change? Why citing two Bible stories does suddenly the crowd go from he's our man to we're throwing him off a cliff? Because they got his message. It's not that he was misunderstood. They figured out what he was saying and they didn't like it. 
Because see, when Jesus quoted the Isaiah passage, he stopped one line short on purpose. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, goes on to say this. This is verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and it stops right there. Everybody else there knew the next line, and the day of the vengeance of our God. So when he quotes the first part, they assume the second part. And they start amening him because, yes, the vengeance of the day of our God, that's what we're waiting for. We got some people, we got a long list that we want vengeance taken out on. We'll put the Romans, we'll put the tax collectors, we'll put everybody that's ever oppressed us. We're ready for the Messiah to come, make it right, and we want to see some vengeance poured out. And Jesus doesn't include that line, and then he gives these two stories. And what you need to know about these two stories is he gives them two illustrations about God's love and God's protection and God's providence going to two people that are outside of Israel. Elijah prophesies to a king that there's going to be a drought and a famine in the land. You know, any... We're still dependent, obviously, on agriculture even today. But you're talking about a land that lived from, from harvest to harvest to harvest. And so when the land dries up, the drought and the famine becomes severe. And God sends Elijah to exist by a brook. And ravens come and actually care for him and feed him. Well, at some point, because the drought goes on so extended, the brook dries up. And then Elijah is sent by God into this area called Zarephath. Or the area called Sidon. The city's called Zarephath. And he encounters a widow there. And what you need to know about that is that is outside the boundaries of Israel. Outside of God's people. That's where the pagans lived. They didn't worship the same God. And there, Elijah asked for, from this widow for a small meal. And the widow basically says, look... I've got some flour and some oil. I'm going to make one loaf of bread. My son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die after that. Desperate, no hope. And Elijah tells her that the Lord will take care of her. And so, out of desperation, out of faith, we don't know. She bakes a loaf, shares it with Elijah, and then God sees to it that her vessels of flour or grain and her vessel of oil never run dry. And she's sustained. And the next one perhaps is an even more famous story. It's by Naaman. And Naaman, what you need to know, he's not just an outsider. He's the general of the army of the Syrians. So he's the leader of the outsiders. He is the enemy. He's the general of the enemy. This is the guy that you would do the drone strike on. This is the guy that they hated. And here's this account where he gets leprosy, a, a serious skin condition that was going to be fatal for him, and he loses hope. But he has taken a slave girl that's from Israel, and through that connection, she says, the God of Israel can heal you. You need to talk to his prophet, Elisha. And so Naaman, with all of his wealth and all of his power, loads up his entourage and goes and seeks out Elisha. And Elisha tells him something very strange. He says, if you'll go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be clean. Well, at first, Naaman, he's so powerful and he's so 
um, consumed with his own ability to control things. He says, that's it. You want me to go climb in some muddy river? I'm not doing it. And he starts heading back home, and he's furiated. He's got a servant that talks some sense into him. And the servant says, if he had asked you to do something great, if he said go conquer a city, you would have done it. But he asked you to do this simple thing. Why won't you go do it? And so his humility takes over. And he goes and he washes seven times in the river. And he comes up clean. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving two examples where God's providence went to those outside. And they get the message that the Messiah is not coming to destroy their enemies like they thought. But he's coming to include their enemies. And suddenly, they have this visceral reaction. I, I was trying to think of something that would help us have this kind of reaction, and I've got this really lame illustration, so I'm just going to call my shot ahead of time, okay? But imagine, back in the day, when, when I grew up in a day where you actually had birthday parties at McDonald's. That was like a big deal. I don't know if we still do that. But McDonald's would provide a cake and punch that burned on the way down, okay? <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, say amen. So, so my, my mom planned a surprise party for me at McDonald's one time. And so I didn't know anything about it, and we show up at McDonald's, and I'm thinking I'm just there for, for, I don't even know if they called them Happy Meals back then, for a little hamburger. But as we pull in, I see one of my friends in the playground. And then I see another one of my friends, and I see another one of my friends, and they've already gathered, and suddenly I realize it's a party for me. And, man, I thought, this is the best day ever, you know. Now, imagine if my mom at that moment, had turned to me and said, it's your birthday. And I went, yay, it's, it's all about me. And she said, you know, Billy, the bully at school that makes your life miserable? I invited him. What? 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 But what if she'd said, you know, Billy, the bully at school that makes your life miserable every single day and you can't stand him? I found out you two guys have the same birthday. So it's a birthday for you and Billy. Do you feel that in your gut? Because suddenly I'd be like, Mom, I'm not going in. How could you? That's what they're experiencing at this very moment. Suddenly, Jesus is saying, the Messiah is coming. And it's not like you thought. So I'm going to give us a couple of takeaways from this. The, the first one is this, and here's, there's good news and there's a challenge. You and I, we're the inheritors of this. We're the beneficiaries of this. This is good news for everyone, including you. I don't care how far you have felt away from God. This is good news that when, Jesus is saying that when God's come, the Lord's favor is not limited to a region. It's not limited to a people. It's not limited to a certain group that says, hey, we've got a, a prior claim. It's included to everyone. And just factually speaking, we're all Gentiles. We're not part of the Jewish faith. And Jesus is saying it's going to go around the world. It's going to include everybody. And that means even you. 
And you need to hear this message, and this may be the only part of the message that you need to hear today, but I don't care what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, whatever your life circumstances have been, whatever your pedigree is, whatever your nationality is, whatever your economic status is, it does not matter. Jesus is declaring this is a message and you're included in the message. It is not based on your ability to prove something to God. It is not based on how faithful you've been in the past. It is simply based on the fact that God chooses to include you and therefore you are invited to be included. Congratulations. That should be good news. That should be worth coming for. But there's a challenge with it now. The challenge is for those of us that have already realized we've been invited. And here's the challenge. When Jesus opens the doors for us, we can't shut it for others. And isn't that our temptation? That once we get inside of a group, we want to suddenly turn around and bar entrance for anybody else. Another way to think about this is, is once you realize that you've been invited to the party, you don't get to help edit the guest list for everybody else. We haven't been invited to that. And we've got to be so careful with this because the temptation is that we want to become all about us and all just in here. And some of you know what this means to be rejected by a church. That something happened in your life and you sought out some hope from your church or some kind of acceptance or some kind of connection and whatever happened is you were told you don't fit anymore. You don't belong here anymore. And I'm sorry that that happened. And I know that times I've been guilty of that in my life too. But here's the reality is that church, myself, nobody has the right to tell you because it's not their invitation to extend. It's not their invitation to take away. We've got to be really careful that we don't become selfish with what with Jesus was unselfish with. See, grace is this incredible thing. And God's grace, and Jesus is saying at this very moment, God's favor, God's grace, it doesn't know boundaries. Now, here's what we want to say. Well, it will go to somebody that doesn't deserve it. That's what grace is. Because if you've got it, you didn't deserve it. So we got to be really careful that we don't try to turn around and shut the door that was opened for us. Here's the last one. When we try to mold Jesus into our image, we reject him all over again. You see what they did? Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. Right up to the point that they liked what he was saying and then when they... He said, but it's going to be like this. They try to throw him off a cliff. He fit their image. He fit their mold. He was their candidate. He was the one that they wanted right up to a point. And when suddenly he says, no, this is so much bigger than you can imagine, they rejected him. When we try to fit Jesus into our image, when we try to make him more like us, we just reject him all over again. I love this statement. On the sixth day, God created man in his image. 
and man promptly turned around and returned the favor right back to God. We have such a temptation to want to create God in our image and make Jesus fit our agenda, where he votes like us, he spends his money like us, he endorses all things that we believe in, he watches the same movies that we watch, and Jesus really becomes more of a reflection of us then we become a reflection of him. And here's what I want to share with you. Any Jesus that is made in your image is not a Jesus worthy of your worship. It's just way too small at that point. <clears throat> if you can get your arms all the way around him, I'm telling you, it's too small of a Jesus. But he's come to bring grace and power for all. And he's, going to, and he's telling us, that it's not limited to just the people inside the circle that you think are inside the circle. <clears throat> I get to spend Wednesday night meeting with many of our second hour leaders for the, the groups and the Bible classes. Excuse me. <coughs> and this is an incredible time. And if you, if you haven't experienced one of our Bible classes, several of them are following the sermon material. And I really just want to encourage you to to experience some of those, those classes and those opportunities because just it's a great way to dig deeper. Well, it's such a rich time as we talk about the sermon and the message and the scriptures that are coming up. And I'm always reminded of so many wonderful things. Well, as, as I met with the group this Wednesday night, they reminded me of, a, of an image that I'm going to show you. And it's one of the most dramatic images of the past decade for sure and perhaps the 21st century. And it's this image right here. If you recall, the young man in the picture is Brant John or Brant Jean. And he is hugging a police officer named Amber Geiger. And this is at her trial because Amber Geiger entered Brant's older brother, Botham, into his apartment and shot him there. And this is at the end of the trial during the victim statement. And if you saw this, you don't forget it. Because Brant begins to talk about his faith and his love. And he begins to offer forgiveness. And he offers Amber Geiger, the one that took the life of his brother, forgiveness. And he says, he says I don't know if I can do this, but can I give her a hug? And, and the judge is even caught off guard by that request. Because the judge has seen victim statement after victim statement. This is brand new. And, and the judge says yes. And in the middle of a courtroom, these two come together. And he hugs the woman that took the life of his brother and he forgives. And you see what... What Brandon understands is it, the grace of God is not just limited to those that I like. The grace of God is not just limited to those that make my list. But it's so much larger. And it even goes to the enemies, the ones that have hurt us. <clears throat> and I share that because that is such an unbelievable image. And when we see it, we're compelled by it, aren't we? We almost can't take our eyes off of it because we go, there it is. That's it. I, I don't know that I can access that all in my own life, but that's it. 
Because we serve one that was willing to lay down his life for us. And the one that's both the father and the judge is the one that comes around and is willing to give us the hug, even though we're responsible. This is poignant right now because even in our own community, we're dealing with a very similar situation. And I'm just going to share with you that it is only by the power of God and the message of grace and forgiveness can we be a people in this world, in this time, in this place that reflect the year of the Lord's favor and grace for all. Can we be the ones that bear that message? Because that's a message that can't be stopped. And from a church service that went bad so many thousands of years ago, when Jesus first spoke those words to the fact that you and I are here today, that message has rolled through time, and we've been blessed by it. And now, will we be the ones that model what it's like for a world that needs to desperately know, is there grace and forgiveness? And is it in limited supply, or is it in an unbelievable, abundant supply? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, You are in the business of blowing our boundaries apart. And Father, I pray that you would begin to work. First of all, anyone here that doesn't feel like they've been included and invited, that, Father, I ask that you would please land this message right on their heart, that they would see the grace of Jesus coming through. The one that proclaims the year of the Lord's favor is here. Would you break through in a powerful way and begin to change their heart and change their life. Make it new, Father, and revive them. And Father, for those of us that are familiar with this message, that we wouldn't become so familiar that it becomes boring, that it, beco- that it becomes um, dull, that we take it for granted. And would you use us to help break down boundaries, break down walls, and reach out to people that perhaps even drive us crazy to reach out and bring this message. Father, help us to celebrate how good you are for anybody that you choose to be good to. Father, help us to live this out in this time, this way. Help our community, Father, during this time. Help us be a place where where love and grace abounds. Father, ask all this in the name of the one that originally proclaimed it. In the name of Jesus.
It's in his name that I pray. Amen. If there's anything that we can do to minister, if you want to know how do you even begin to enter into this kind of life, this kind of relationship, what does baptism mean? We'd love to talk to you about that and show you just how much God's grace can abound in your life. If we can have that conversation, we pray with you. Myself, some of the staff, the elders are going to be down here. You can come and talk to us. Let's stand. Let's worship, please.